This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today on Valley Views, we're visiting with Greg Smith, Wet Mountain Valley resident and photographer. He is co-owner of iMediaSmith.com and May River Mountain Press. Greg, welcome back. Great to be here. Thanks. I always like to ask, how long have you and Janet been here in the Wet Mountain Valley? I have now lived here exactly 10 years. Janet, for nine years and a few months. And we were talking a bit before, you were in Hilton Head, or that area before, so this is a long way from there. We moved from 8 feet to 8,000 feet. <laughs> bit of a change. <laughs> That's too funny. Now, as a photographer, this is a pretty sweet place to be. It's easy to get jaded about it, even. If you look at the amount of pictures I took of Horn Peak in my first three years here and what I've done since, there are fewer. But <laughs> Horn Peak has become an obsession. It's very easy just to pick out a point here and really get into it. I notice on your website you've got some photos of Horn Peak uh, mm -hmm. over the years. Yes, I've got it from several different angles and in every kind of weather. My favorite, I think, is what I call the white peaks and yellow streaks uh, you yes. know, for maybe a week at the end of September if we get lucky. You've got to be quick to get that photo, I know. It, it so. happens early in the morning. So visitors here for the weekend, what are the shots that they're likely to get? They're just visiting. They're just here for a day or two. What are the obvious photographic destinations, if you will? Well, I think you need to start with the light, the quality of the light. Dawn is incredible here, typically. They're called the Sangres for a reason. Now, that was named from the other side of the mountain for sunset, but uh, over here we get our, our that they turn red in the, in the dawn. And a magic hour is just great everywhere. But I think some of the most incredible things are to get up high and see the basins and just sit right here in the valley and look at the Sangres and how the weather and light changes on them. Photography, I mean, photography is what? It's drawing with light, quite literally, in, from the Greek roots of photo and graph. And you've got to look at the light. It's the first step in making better pictures. So we've talked about what are the obvious things. What are the more subtle photo ops that most people would miss? I think their interactions with people and to some degrees we'll call them uh, clothing costumes that are like unique to the valley. We've got a, a range of different people here and we've got from uh, cowboy attire to Amish attire to tourist attire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think I'm people, I'm a people photographer by, by uh, background, although I do a lot of landscapes now. And I think that's one thing to look for. Another thing to look for are the little subtle things around town. Signs juxtaposed against old uh, antiques, actually, in many cases, that sort of give an atmosphere to the town. Main Street, at different hours, is really pretty neat from the, light, the way the lights are lined up now, pointing down as they should, to uh, how it lines up with the mountains. It's overwhelming. And then look in the other direction. You know, it's real easy to look at the Sangres, but if you look east, immediately we got desert. Mm -hmm. uh, the White Hills are just as, as stark as things can get, and I spend a lot of time up there on a bicycle. And how that stacks against the Sangres, uh, the subtle wildflowers that pop up for about three months of the year, 
there's just, uh, it's pretty rich. Mm. And then there's Lake Deweese, which is full of amazing wildlife and filth, but also <laughs> the, the wildlife there, the ducks, we've got 10 or 12 different kinds of ducks nesting there. And we have herons of a couple of kinds. And we have, um, I've seen a mink there. I've seen ermine up in the hills. Uh, of course, the pronghorns. And occasionally you'll see a crane come through. It's just, uh, it, it, it's amazing country. Let me ask a bit about equipment. I remember my Nicromat in the 70s, but uh, things have changed a lot since then. What's your go-to camera and your go-to setup, especially here in the digital age? Well, I'm a Canon guy. I have been for 50 years. So I've got a variety, every kind of Canon camera since uh, the equivalent of the Nicromat, which would be, I had a TLB, uh, FTB would have been equivalent. And I've got a case full of old cameras. But that stated... My go-to camera, my travel camera, the one that often goes up the hill with me, what I did most of my ski pictures with, is a Sony. It's mm -hmm. a little Sony 6000 series. It's a A6400 that is a APS-C. That means smaller than full-frame sensor. And it just is the right size and the right quality to get the job done um, in just a simple little waste pack. You've been doing photography for many, many years what are the pluses and minuses of digital photography? Digital photography has given me control of just about every aspect of it. I was a black and white photographer for years because I could control what happened in the darkroom so well. My color, I had to turn over someone else most of the time. I mean, I did process color on occasion, but it wasn't efficient. So this has given me great control. On the other hand, it has removed the magic I used to be a magician, and now I'm just somebody else with a camera. Everybody has a digital camera in their pocket these mm -hmm. days. And an iPhone or similar is a pretty capable device. So it's not a matter of equipment distinguishing me so much more. It's not a matter of the magic distinguishing me anymore. It's what I can do with my eye and the experience I bring to the project. Mm -hmm. Kind of setting up the photograph and seeing what the possibilities are, I suppose setting it up in my mind in most cases because I'm a documentary photographer. Mm -hmm. But I do know I've been trained in posing as well and use that when I need to. If I'm reasonably skilled with an iPhone, say a 14, kind of the latest technology, how close can I come to a professional level photographs and what can I do? Well, there's a lot of stuff that happens in software on the iPhone to simulate what an actual camera does. And you actually can't turn some parts of that off. Uh, if you use a portrait mode, you reduce the effective depth of field or depth of focus. You can stitch very quickly with a panorama. That's a wonderful control in there. But you're also working with an a imaging device, a chip, that is less than the size of my little fingernail. And that means your pixels are small, are small. And what wonderful things it will do in low light aren't as great as can be done with a larger imaging device. Mm -hmm. It's just smaller surface area, doesn't let it, as, let it as much light. You have smaller, much, much smaller pixels, and they can't capture the color range or the tonality range that you can get with a larger device. Mm -hmm. And of course, optics, you've got many more optical choices. Your telephoto on an iPhone really isn't. Um, assuming you have one, you have the higher-end device. Uh, let's talk a bit about your new book. That kind of triggered this interview. Uh, you've got a book out, Altitude Adjustment, 
a book of chairlift pictures. Tell me a bit about that. What was the inspiration? You're a skier. My guess is that has something to do with it. Well, I think it started probably 20, 25 years ago. We lived in South Carolina, southern South Carolina, and we had lived in Telluride, and we loved to ski, and we wanted to turn our kids on to it. So we drive up to West Virginia or Western Maryland, nine, ten hours, and we were living next door to my Southern Belle mother. Now, she'd gone to school for a little while at Cornell in Ithaca and knew what snow was, and she knew she didn't like it. And we lived in D.C. when I grew up, so we had snowstorms that she had to deal with. But I uh, was on a chairlift one misty night at the Wisp in Maryland, and I said, man, I'm liking the way the light and the mist and everything with these chairs in a line make a picture. i got to get a camera on that chairlift. And I started from time to time carrying a camera, and I wanted to take a picture and show her why this was so gorgeous, what the great experience was. And then I got, as digital came in and uh, started using some smaller cameras in particular, I started carrying a camera regularly. By the time I moved out here, I was carrying a camera all the time on the chairlift. And about five years ago, I realized this was going to become a book. Mm-hmm. As we're talking about photographs here, we're going to work to get uh, some of your photographs on our website or a, a link to your website so that folks can take a look. But describe some of the photographs that you particularly like from the book. Well, I think we ought to describe what, I, what, what the genre is. I've actually defined a genre of chairlift pictures. And it's basically the experience that most people have skiing as opposed to what I call powder porn that sells skiing. And, uh, you know, those are pictures of people who've dropped in from helicopters with a team and, and they're posing and lighting and just getting that face full of powder picture or coming, shooting down a chute that they've gotten to by hiking or helicopter. I think that's a waste of a great chairlift. <laughs> chairlift just enables so much on the mountain. So my pictures are from the chairlift, of the chairlift, around the chairlift, and what you see when that happens, the weather, the the scene of skiing, the little details, the people, the lifties that enable this, and the party that happens. As you were thinking about this book, how do you gauge whether a certain subject is suitable for a book? It became a need within me, and I began discussing it with strangers even on the chairlift. I'd be there and pulling out a camera, and they're like, what the heck are you doing? And I explained that I'd sort of set a boundary around this, that it was going to be inbound skiing. And as I got more into it, the chapters sort of broke out in my mind. Uh, There are 10 chapters in there, Mm -hmm. and another one about our backstory, our family backstory, that look at the different aspects of what inbound normal experience skiing is. If somebody wanted to take a look at the book and get a sense of it, uh, they could find it a few places around town, I think. Yes, it's at all the range, and it's at, through Friday, through Christmas Eve, it'll be at the Sangres Art Guild, the shop there on uh, 69 North. Okay, good. And again, your website is imediasmith.com. So more information about you, your photographs, you've got examples of different types of photographs uh, that folks can catch up there. And there is a specific site for the book as well. And the easiest way to get to that is altitudeadjustment.net. Okay. So you've taken thousands and thousands of photographs over the years. What are a few that hang in your house? I have a picture of uh, Horn Peak, or the, the whole range is viewed from our perspective. 
uh, just uh, northeast of main part of town. And it's a large canvas hanging there. I have a picture of a tricolored heron at dawn on a December morning in the marsh in South Carolina that hangs there. That's very prominent. I've got pictures of uh, aspens in the fall and a picture of our son on a paddleboard in front of a huge thunderhead in the uh, marsh of South Carolina. These are the things that kind of stand out to me. My favorite places, over our bed, I have a panoramic of our dock in South Carolina at sunset. So behind our bed is the dock and beautiful place we lived in South Carolina. And looking out the window <laughs> is the Sangres. That is a contrast. Yeah. If you could go any place in the world for a week with your cameras, where would be your destination? Oh, boy. I'm not well-traveled. I've been to England before. I've been to Scotland, spent six weeks in Scotland, but I haven't been a lot overseas. And I suppose Polynesia, including Hawaii and Africa, would be two places top of the line. Maybe Thailand. There are some great shots in all of those places, I know. Are there photographers you particularly admire? Absolutely. Living photographers, I think one of my favorite documentary photographers is Michael Williamson of the Washington Post. He's a friend, a Pulitzer Prize winner. I'm very good friends, or was a producer for uh, Peter Turnley, for the twins, Turnley brothers, who were top photojournalists in the 90s uh, around the world. One of my key mentors was Dirk Halstead, who was a White House photographer for time. He died recently. I am a somewhat restricted, but I still a fan of Ansel Adams' technical work and and many of his pictures. I've I've studied Adams a bit and and uh, done gallery walks of his work, hmm. um, and know a lot of his key people, uh, John Sexton in particular. And when you see the behind the scenes photographs of uh, Ansel Adams with the, the those large format cameras. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it took some work to get to some of those spots. It did. In fact, uh, one, the gallery walk I mentioned I did with John Curry, who um, the Curry Company owned the lodge, the Awani Lodge in Yosemite Valley. And he grew up essentially carrying Ansel's <laughs> tripod. And Jan Lee, who um, recently died yes. here, was I shared an office with her. She uh, took several workshops with John Sexton, who is uh, who I interviewed for Kodak years ago, who was the last darkroom assistant for Ansel. So she knew that direction very well. She, I actually spoke with her, and she one of her regrets was that she had been offered to be in the Ansel Adams workshop and didn't think she was ready. Mm. Her father or uncle or somebody was going to pay for it. That was that was a recent conversation. That was just last summer we were talking. Interesting. As we run out of time, any final thoughts? Well, I think that this is an amazing opportunity, this valley, in a lot of ways. There's just so much. One of my disappointments of this valley that I'd like to see something done about is Lake DeWeese. I think it's an amazing story, and I may do it someday. It's 20 miles from Blueberry Peak, where God's prettiest water comes out of the mountain, to Lake DeWeese, where it grows toxic algae. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an interesting story of why that happens. Greg, I understand you've got a new office also. Yes, it's upstairs at 59,069 North. That's upstairs from Round Mountain Water and Sanitation uh, District offices. And I've got a full framing setup up there. I don't stock a lot of frames, but I do frame my own work. 
and I've got a huge printer up there that does probably state-of-the-art color printing. And I have now a new headshot studio with a variety of lights and reflectors that really can make people look good. And I'm eager to start using it. And the ghosts of bluegrass are up in that those offices, as I recall. They are. They stomp out once in a while and knock over a light stand. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what made them so angry, but, but it is it's nice a, to be up there. It's that banjo music. Do it to you. <laughs> We've been visiting with Greg Smith, Wet Mountain Valley resident and photographer. He's co-owner of imediasmith.com. You can find out more about the book at altitudeadjustment.net. He's also co-owner of May River Mountain Press. My name's Gary, and we'll see you next time on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 6 p.m., and again on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. I'm walking on a rainbow.